Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. If you have uh, the book of Genesis open to chapter number 12, uh, we are about to go into part two of a series that we're in this month called Healthy Transitions. Uh, We're looking at key moments in the life of Abraham uh, where we can find him going through transitions, but God dealing with him through them, through those transitions and some things that we can learn along the way. Last week, we talked about Abraham's uh, encounter with God, hearing this voice and him leaving everything, literally everything, not just a geographical location, but his culture, uh, all of his customs, his values, the voice of his father to go to a place that God wanted to show him. The title of that message was, I have to show you something. So this week, um, uh, (laughs) for all of my nerds, this, this is random, okay? My disclaimer is the title of this message is random. It will be sticky though, but it will be random. And it's kind of corny. So I want you to prepare yourself for that. He's already laughing, and I haven't even said the name of the sermon. It's a participatory title, which means I need you all to say it with me. Get over yourself. I already told you it's corny, okay? That's my disclaimer. I know it's corny. Do it anyway, okay? So uh, this is the title of the message. Are you ready? Set it up. Keep it up. Way up. Told you. I told you it was corny. I knew it. I knew it when, when he gave it to me. I knew it, okay? I'm blaming it on the Holy Spirit. I, he, he's the one that gave me the title of the message, okay? Say it with me. You ready? Set it up. Keep it up. Way up. Again, set it up. Keep it up. Way One more time. Set it up. Keep it up. Way up. I'm telling you, this week, if anybody asks you what the title of the message was, You have to say it exactly like that. Even if it's like Monday morning, 9.01 a.m., you just got to work, groggy, tired. Hey, you went to church yesterday? Yeah, what did your pastor talk about? Set it up. Keep it up. Way up. Okay? Do it just like that, okay? Now, now, I tried to be strategic in uh, the amount of A's that I put up there. Okay? One, two, three. There's only five A's, right? There was supposed to be seven A's. You got seven on yours? <laughs> That's hilarious. I have seven on mine. Well, five is the number of grace. We'll take those A's. Okay. All right. So <laughs> it'll make sense in a minute, okay? Set it up. Keep it up. Way up. All right? I want to read um, a lot of scripture. It's going to take me about three and a half minutes, okay? Because uh, I timed it because I'm a nerd. Um, uh, I want to read uh, the entire chapter of 12 to you in context and the first four verses of chapter number 13, which will give you a a real good context to where uh, this message is going, okay? So we're going to start from the beginning. This is the first verse that we dealt with last week, and I'm just going to read straight through. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moray. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord. Underline that if you can. Who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued uh, traveling south by stages toward the Negev. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into, the, into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So, so Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, <laughs> and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Set it up, keep it up, way up. It's amazing to me, in the life of Abram, is that he hears this clear word from the Lord. Get out of your country, get away from your relatives and your father's house to a place that I will show you. And as we discussed last week, he left. He got up, he left everything that he knew that he was accustomed to, and he goes to follow the voice of the Lord. Abram, who has spent his life worshiping many gods, is now in a relationship exclusively with one God. And not just another random God to be worshipped, the one and true living God. 
he goes down into this journey. He starts to uh, uh, get into the, 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 the proximity of the land that's going to be promised to him. And God says, this is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. He comes down uh, to this area called Shechem. And near this uh, grove of trees that they called Moray. Now, this is a place where the Canaanites dwelt at the time. And, and just so you have a full context, at this time, everyone, as the nations had grown, uh, as the descendants uh, uh, from, from uh, Noah's sons, as all of these nations had, had, had grown and blossomed, they all began to worship gods with an S. There was a God for everything. There was a God of air. There was a God for fire. There was a God for, for, for rain. There was a God for sunshine. There was a God for, for, for soil, for the agriculture. They prayed to a God. They just made up gods. And, and, and sometimes if they just got bored, they just made one up for no reason. They find a rock. This rock's great. I'm going to name it Jeremiah. Jeremiah is now my God. He's the God of the rocks. Every time I find a good rock, I'm going to call it Jerry. They just had random gods for everything. Imagine now Abram coming down into this area already occupied by the Canaanites. All of these little altars erected everywhere and Abram comes to erect his own altar. Now let's answer some questions very quickly. What is an altar? What is an altar? By definition, an altar is an elevated place or structure at which religious rites are performed. It's an elevated place or structure at which religious rites are performed. And what do we do at altars? Three things exclusively for us who are in relationship with God. We worship God, we sacrifice ourselves, and we remind ourselves. These are the three things that happen at an altar. It's a, point, it's a place and a point that we come to where we worship God, we sacrifice ourselves to God, and we remind ourselves of the covenant that we have with our God. Abram is in this new relationship with God. He has never exclusively only worshipped one God. So I want you to imagine uh, the, the altars back then were, were no more than stones that were piled on top of each other. And they, 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 they piled these stones on top of each other and, 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 and got it to a height. And then they begin to worship their gods with an S. Oh, God of the rain, we need more rain. Oh, God of the sun, we need more sun. Oh, God of the soil, we need more soil. Our crops didn't come out good this year. Oh, God of randomness, I want to have a good day. Whatever it was, they just worshiped their gods. Now, imagine Abram showing up, stacking up these rocks and going, God, thank you for my life. And imagine maybe a Canaanite being in close proximity and going, which God is that? Which God you worshiping to? The God of life. Which, which, which one? There's a lot of them. Which one you worshiping to? Uh, I'm, I'm just, just God. That guy's kind of weird. He goes on. God, thank you for provision. Oh, okay, you worship the, I don't know who the God of your life was, but who's this God of provision? Do tell. Abram goes, the same one that I just talked about in my life. 
What are you talking about? There's no, these gods are like, you know, we need, you know, these gods that we have are specialized. They can only do one thing. The God of rain, he just does rain. You, you don't call him for sunshine because he doesn't do sunshine. That's why we have a God of sunshine. No, no, no. My God is an all-inclusive God. I don't need 15 different God for 15 different things. My God is the I am that I am God. He's the blank check God, the God that is more than enough. So the same God I think for my life is the same God that I think uh, for my provision, is the same God that I think for my health, is the same God that I think to make the crooked path straight, bring the high places low. He is the same God. They're like, this guy's But as he transitioned, every place he stopped, he erected an altar. Goes down to Shechem. In this plain, it's a valley. He erects an altar and worships the Lord there. Later, he goes into the hill country of a territory and he stops and worships the Lord there. Every place that Abram was to go, he was supposed to erect an altar that would be a place where he could worship the one true living God, sacrifice to him, and to remind himself of how awesome God is. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that we all need an altar in our life. That at every age and stage, every transition in our life, we must remember to build an altar in our hearts, build an altar in every season of our lives that will allow us to remember the God who will be with us in every season of our life. If you make a transition without an altar, you make yourself vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Every transition of our lives should include us building an altar, a place, having a space where we can worship God, sacrifice our agendas, our desires, and remind ourselves of who God is. There's three points to this message. I want you to write them down. Point number one is altars help you navigate life's ups and downs. Altars help you navigate life's ups and downs. We just talked about it in the life of Abraham. He comes to Shechem, which is a valley. He worships the Lord there. Then he goes up to Uh, uh, I'm sorry, then he goes up into uh, Bethel and Ai, which is elevated, and he worships the Lord there. He literally has mountains and valleys that he's exposed himself to, and guess what? He's kept an altar in both of those places. For all of our ups and downs, we have an altar. If you only have an altar and worship the Lord in the highlights of your life, That means there's always going to be compromise in the low points in your life. If the only time you want to worship God, remind yourself of God and sacrifice to God is when everything's going your way, then that means every time things get rough, the enemy knows that he has a spot to mess with you. 
All he has to do is get the money to act a little funny for the relationship with the spouse or the kids to just be a little bit wonky. And all of a sudden he knows, I got him. They never build an altar when they come to this type of point. And this is where I can come in with the temptation. This is when I can come in with the, the seeds of discord. This is when I can start planting the seeds of strife because they don't have a place to be reminded of the Lord. Abram was to build altars in every stage of his life. Everywhere he went, he was supposed to stop, build it up, and worship. God, I thank you for bringing me to this point. I really don't like the valley that much, but I'm really glad that you're in with me in the valley. I'd rather not be in this season of my life, but if I have to be here, I'm glad I'm here with you. I'd rather not be going through this sickness in my life right now, but if I have to go through it, I'm glad I'm going through it with you. I hate that I'm in between jobs or, 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 or that we're in a financial strain, but if I have to be here, I'm glad that I'm here with you. I'm reminded that the same God that's with me on the mountaintop is with me in the valley. Don't forget to build your altar. Point number two, write this down. The absence of altars cause compromise. The absence of altars cause compromise. Now I'm about to share something with you that maybe you have not paid attention to and when you get the revelation of it, you're going to be so mad. Abram builds an altar in Shechem. Abram builds an altar in between Bethel and Ai. Then there was a famine that strikes the land. and Abram is forced to transition down into Egypt. When he gets down into Egypt, there's something that's noticeably missing from this transition. It's an altar. He does not build an altar when he gets down into Egypt. And the moment he decides not to build that altar is the moment he starts to compromise his integrity in his newfound relationship with the Lord. He gets down into Egypt because there's no altar to worship God and to center him that even though there's a famine, I, I, I know that, that, that you're still with me. You didn't cause a famine for me to have to go through anything. A famine is just a famine. He goes through the famine. He gets down there. He does not worship, sacrifice, or remind himself of the covenant that he has with the Lord. And the moment that he stopped doing that, he had to operate on his own intellect, thoughts, and desire. Gets down into Egypt, turns around, looks at his 65-year-old fine wife. That's a whole nother level of fine. When you are a 75-year-old man, with a 65-year-old wife, and your first thought when you come into town is, your wife is so fine, somebody's going to take her? That's your first thought. It wasn't like, let's just find some great accommodations. 
Let's figure out where the food is. Let's figure out where we can put all of our livestock. No, you walk into town and go, they're going to take you. When we was outside in this tent with nobody around, I had exclusivity rights to you. Now that we're coming into town, you so fine, girl, they might take you. And I could just imagine, oh, Abram, stop. You're so sweet. You've been saying this all my life. He, no, he's like, I'm dead serious. And scripture supports the fact that he was dead serious because it says, just like Abram said, he came into town and everyone that saw him was like, oh, my goodness, she is gorgeous. And they not, not just like it's one thing to come and, oh, that person's attractive. It's another thing to go home and tell Pharaoh. I mean, you out shopping, looking at oranges and like, oh, this is going to be good. Oh. Pharaoh. Hello, Pharaoh. You're going you to want to see this one. I know. I already know. I already know. I know you're, you're a Pharaoh. You have many wives and a whole harem, but you don't have this one. This, is, this girl is gorgeous. Abram says, um, all right, okay, so when we go in there, let's rehearse this. Okay, so get in there, tell them uh, you're my sister, okay? Now, uh, this wasn't just a lie. A, a, a lie is one thing. Deception is another, okay? Uh, uh, we, we, we know that the devil is a liar, but, but what, what got us into the fall was not a lie. It was deception. Deception is when there is some truth there, but you choose to withhold it so that you can frame the narrative in a way that benefits you. Genesis chapter number three was not a lie. It was deceit. When you eat of this fruit, you will not surely die. It's the word surely that messed the whole thing up. Because it wasn't about them biting the apple and dropping dead. It was about them biting the apple and being disconnected from life. So they started to die the moment that they bit of that fruit. See, see, here's the truth. The truth is that, that uh, yes, Abraham, uh, Abram is married to Sarai, and Sarai is Abram's half-sister. Don't get into that, all right? Don't even just let it go. Let it go. Just let it go, okay? Just let it go. If you want to talk about it afterwards, we can, but I'm going to just tell you, let it go. Don't let it jack you up that much, Okay? It is his half-sister, but he chooses to withhold this information because he let fear enter into his heart. Why did he let fear enter into his heart? He stopped worshiping God. He stopped sacrificing. See, the altar is where you sacrifice your desires, your agenda, your will, your way. Every time uh, in the Old Testament they would put an animal on the altar, it was supposed to represent the base animalistic nature of the person who was giving the sacrifice. So every time there was a, 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 an, an oxen that was going to go on the altar, every time there was a sheep that went on the altar, or every time there was a lamb that went on the altar, every time there were doves that went on the altar, it was a representation of the person that was giving the sacrifice. The, the, the base nature, my animalistic tendencies to, to avoid pain and seek pleasure, I'm putting that on the altar to stay in a relationship with you. 
that I will not lean on my own will, my own way, my own agenda, my own desires, but yet, rather I will put them on the altar and burn them up to stay in right alignment with you. That's what an altar is for. Abram didn't have it, and therefore his plan prevailed. Abram uh, was given uh, 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 this opportunity. He makes this negotiation, and here's what Abram's thinking in the back of his mind. I'm going to offer Pharaoh uh, uh, Sarai as his wife, uh, but there has to be a no negotiation, and the negotiations usually take between 24 to 48 hours. Here's what Abram was thinking. While in the nego negotiation period, we'll have time to leave. We'll come in. I'll say this to my sister. Oh, I didn't know Pharaoh was going to want her. Okay, but th this takes at least one or two days for this uh, transaction to take place back in those days uh, before we make an agreement. We'll have time to leave before they ever know we were gone. Except Pharaoh didn't follow that rule because Sarai was fine. So he just skipped that step. He was like, that's your sister? Great, bring her to the palace. He was like, oh, wait a I thought we were supposed to have, mm -mm, not today, not with her. She's coming with me now. Winds up with Pharaoh and Abram gets some gifts. Got to put my air quotations up. Abram winds up with some gifts because of his deception. He gets a little bit of money, he gets some livestock, and he gets male and female servants. Abraham already had male and female servants that attended to his house and his livestock and all that kind of stuff. But when he went down to Egypt, uh, part of the transaction were more male and female servants. Sarai is now a part of Pharaoh's harem. He goes in to meet with her. And God himself has to stop this. God himself. Thank you. Can we just thank God for interjecting in er moments of our life where we think we're about to really mess it up? And God goes, y'all so foolish. Stop. Have you ever been on the verge of doing something super dumb and God just stepped in and was like, stop. Somebody should give him praise, at least 50 people, for stopping you from doing the most foolish thing you could ever do. Can you imagine, I, if I was Sarai, I would be hot. We don't think about the human narrative of this. I, I, I can just imagine Sarai going, this was not, I can't believe this fool. He told me, okay, go along, and I'm the sister, and I didn't know I was going to get whisked away. This is ridiculous. I know she, she wasn't in agreement with it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, which is why it's so important for the men of the house to have a clear word from the Lord. Lest you compromise the integrity of the family for your own agenda, your own will, and your own way. He's, he's standing face to face with Sarai, Pharaoh is. And God interjects and says, stop. Um, don't do this or else there will be consequences. And Pharaoh hears from the one true living God. 
this is this is a man who is polytheistic in all of his ways, has gods for everything. He hears the voice of the one true God and was like, I didn't do listen, I mm-mm, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> Sir, I didn't do anything. This man told me that this was his sister. I took him at his word. And God's like, I know, that's why I came to stop you before you do something foolish and I wreck you like I'm going to wreck your ancestors when I bring Moses to bring him out of the bondage. Never mind. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with you, Pharaoh. Just let Sarai go. Not my, all my people, Sarai. <laughs> Just let Sarai go. Okay. So he takes Sarai out. You do know that that's a type and shadow. What happened with Abram and Sarai happens with Moses and the children of Israel. It, uh, he takes them down to uh, Egypt so he can show them a commercial glimpse of the deliverance that would happen to all of the descendants about four or five hundred years later. That's just I just threw that in for free. So anyway, um, Pharaoh lets him go. He, he goes back and, and interacts with Abram and says, why did you do this? Why'd you tell me that this, this woman was your, 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 your sister when she's really your wife? Take her, man, and go. And then he sends his guards. Make sure they get out. Now, when you get escorted out of a country, somebody really wants you. That's how fine she was. It wasn't like, just leave me alone, man, but you can stay. I know it's a famine. He's like, get, get them out the country. If I can't have her, I don't want to see them at all. Walking down the street, holding hands is going to make me mad. Get them out. They all leave. But when they leave, Abram takes, Scripture says, all of his possessions with him. Pharaoh never asked for the gifts that he gave Abram back. Included in the package deal was some male and female servants from Egypt. And one of those female servants' name was Hagar. Hagar became plan B to God's prophetic word because Abram and Sarai thought it was taking too long. When you fail to build an altar in one season of your life, it can turn into a plan B in another season of your life. When you fail to honor God, worship him, remind yourself and sacrifice in one season, you could be setting yourself up for disaster in the next, had Abram built an altar in Egypt, there would have never been a Hagar to be considered. And there would not be three major monotheistic religions as a result. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all point to Abram as their father. And it was just this one spot where he decided not to build an altar that we wind up with a compromise. And in many aspects has become what has terrorized our faith. Abram takes all of his possessions, he leaves Egypt, doubles back through the Negev, and finds himself back in between Bethel and Ai, which brings me to point number three. Write this down. Point number three is get back 
to your altar. Here's the thing that you have to realize is that uh, every time Abram built an altar and then had to transition, he had to move, he never deconstructed that altar. He never took it down and traveled with it. He kept it where it was. That way, if he ever had to come back into that area, there would be a reminder there that the same God that's been with him there is back with him here. You never tear down an altar that you erect to God because it's something that reminds you of what God has brought you through. He's, he comes back to Bethel AI and he, and he finds this altar. And I, and I can just imagine him remembering, God, that was a close call in Egypt. I, I, I can't believe after getting this amazing word from you that I got into a moment of fear that caused me to not trust you, but, but I'm back. Th th this is what I love about God. He always gives us an opportunity to come back. This is the grace of God, that no matter how far you've gotten away, no matter how far your compromise uh, has allowed you to go, he will give you an opportunity to come back. And if you would just simply come back to the altar, you could worship sacrifice and remind yourself of the covenant agreement that you have with God. See, Abram's transitions were absolutely amazing. Every step he took was by faith, but it was in those moments of fear, doubt, that the altar is important for you to remember what God has done. January 14th, 1996, 22 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. This is my 22nd spiritual birthday today. There's a lot I still don't know about God, but there's a few things that I do. I remember uh, talking uh, to my mother uh, one day. This was several years back. I think she may have been saved at the time, somewhere between 40 and 45 years. And I remember her telling me, she said, baby, because she's from Birmingham, Alabama, so, baby. Uh, she said, what I know about the Lord would not fill the eye of a needle. It's coming from somebody that had been saved for 40-something years. Well, well, that brought me relief because I just thought, oh, well, good. If you don't know, after all these years, and I'm, I'm off the hook. I'm putting way too much pressure on myself. But, but, but here, here's what I can tell you uh, after walking with him for 22 years. I got a lot of altars built. Here's the other thing I can tell you, because this is a hot church, honest, open, and transparent. I, there was a lot of places I did not build altars. In a relationship with God and chose not to build altars to worship, sacrifice, and remind myself, and I can tell you, I have reaped some pretty bad consequences as a result of not building those altars. Here's what I love. God is never so upset and angry with me that he says, don't you ever build an altar to me again. That's how we treat God. That's how people depict God. That's how they articulate him. That if, if we stop building altars, God doesn't want you to build another one. Shame on you. 
You're out of fellowship with God forever. I can't believe you did this. God is going, no, 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 just build another one. I, I know you messed up and you got Hagar and that's a mess and that's a mess. But you can, you, you can build another altar. That doesn't mean Hagar disappears. You got what you wanted, but now you don't want what you got. That happens. There's a reason why you want to keep those altars up. Because when you get back to the place that seems familiar, you can have a marker that lets you know, God, you answered a prayer here. I remember that I died to my flesh right here. I remember there was a moment where I thought about compromising my integrity. And Holy Spirit, you gave me enough strength to walk past it. I'm building an altar here. If that ever happens again, I'm reminded that in this spot, you delivered me. I'm reminded that in this spot, you healed me. I'm reminded that in this spot, you preserved me. And I'm not taking it down. That's why the title of the message is set it up. Keep it up. Way up. Because you need to set up the altar. But you need to keep it up. Don't let any circumstance in life trick you into making you tear it down. Deconstruct it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Not make it as high. I don't need this many stones for this altar. There's some people that, that, that got like two stones on it. If you walked in a room, you would trip over it. You don't need, oh, I forgot I built an altar there. It needs to be high enough where it's visible to you. I'm telling you, two stones is not enough. I believe God wants to do some incredible things for all of us here at Embassy City Church. I, I really do believe it's that type of year that we're making transitions in our lives that are going to cause us to be set up to do some things that bring the kingdom of God to earth. That's why this is an embassy. Y'all know that, right? That this is a, a sovereign representation of heaven on earth. That's what an embassy is. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are serious about that. And the way that we see that happen is to erect altars that bring God into every circumstance in our life. God is not intimidated of Egypt. Egypt has never been a heartache for God. He does light work with bondage. But you could bear it better if you have an altar than if you never built one at all. Set it up. Keep. Come on, set it up, keep it up, way up. Louder, set it up, keep it up, way up. Yeah, set it up, keep it up, way up. Set it up, keep it up, way Way up, way up. May he be high and lifted up above the earth to draw all men to himself. Here's the last revelation, then we'll go. We are the altar. I'm not asking you to get another war room. 
I'm not asking you to find another room in your house to pray in. I'm asking you to find another room in your heart to erect an altar that he'll have a place to be worshiped and magnified. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.